Are you ready for God's word today? Yeah. Ready for the word of God? Um, just in the chat, put, I'm ready. I'm ready in the chat. And, and if you're watching online here, this can be how you serve the world today. This be your evangelism for today. Share the stream. If you're on Facebook, share it or where, whatever platform, if you can share it, somebody else probably needs to see it. So like comment, share. If you're online, you participate. Okay. You participate through the chat. We have our stream team there to connect with you. You connect. Don't just be a spectator, be a participator. Are you with me? Right. You know, we, we don't need any potatoes in the church no spectators, no commentators. You know, what we need is some participators. We don't need taters. We need paters. So this is like really horrible. And so have you ever jumped into something and realized that was bad? And so anyways, just forget all of that, but participate. So, um, all right. Um, grab your Bible, whether it's digital or analog, meaning you turn pages or you click, like it's totally cool to click in your Bible. Please don't be shopping or Instagramming right now, right? But click in your Bible and go to John chapter 15. We're in a series that we called Up, come on, somebody help me, Up in Smoke. That's right, Up in Smoke. And what we're talking about is this term, Up in Smoke, is, a, is like a phrase that speaks to the finality when something didn't work out the way we hoped it would work out. Right. And coming out of 2020, I felt like this is a good place to start our year to say, hey, where do we go from here? If life has left us ashes and I've shared some of my own story, but if life left you ashes in 2020 or in general, you've got to find that 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 footing to move on. So we've talked about up in smoke because like I had a good plan. It went up in smoke. We were going to open up a new office in this region, but that went up in smoke. I thought this relationship was the one, but it went up in smoke. And what do you do when it goes up in smoke? And so we've been talking about it. By the way, last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the last two weeks of this series. But last week was on owning your ashes. And I know it was good because I got emails. All right. So, so I know that one helps Somebody, so it will probably help you. But today we're going to be in John chapter 15. Now, here's the hardest thing for a pastor to do is to preach the word of God to people who know the word of God. Because when I say John 15, some of you already know, oh yeah, that's the vine and the branches. And you've read a book on it or a commentary, or you've listened to a hundred sermons and you've heard me preach about it. Um, and, and, and you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of got this one. And so here's, here's my encouragement that I always want to bring to us. The Bible is more expansive and vast than our capacities to understand it. Meaning that you can read it different so many different ways. I'm not talking about taking it out of context. I'm talking about gleaning new truth out of it. And so I've always encouraged you from the very beginning, don't read the Bible like you've read it. Read the Bible like you've never read it. Because if you keep reading it the way you read it, you're going to keep seeing what you saw. But when you read it like it's the first time you're reading it and you never read it, sometimes you see something different. And then this is what I ask God. I'm like, God, everybody's heard a sermon on John 15. And I said, so can you give me something new? Can you give me something fresh? You give me something they hadn't heard. So he did, and it's sprinkled throughout here. So you're going to have to pay attention to hear something you never heard. Amen. So John 15. So John 13, 14, 15, and 16, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in the upper room, right? Now, real quick, because I know people get stuck on phrases in the Bible, and people get stuck on upper room. And I've had people say, Pastor, Pastor, help me understand the significance of the upper room. Why do they call it the upper room, Pastor? 
So I want to help you with this great theological question so that we can move on. And that is the upper room was called the upper room because it was above the lower room. Okay, and I have helped you. Lord, let it heal them, Jesus, right? Okay, and so, um, so is the upper room because it was above the, the, the lower room. And so, um, so 13, 14, 15, 16, John 13 through 16, they're in the upper room. And so John 13, most of you know, that's where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And then verse four, chapter 14, he tries to console them. He talks about the Father. He talks about this comforter, this Holy Spirit that's gonna come and, and help them. And let me tell you, church, I don't know where you are on understanding the person of the Holy Spirit, but I can tell you this with the days ahead and what God is calling the church and he's releasing a grace in the church for gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit again. So you need to get comfortable with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not, let me help you some. If you're not comfortable with the Holy Spirit, it's not because there's something wrong with the Holy Spirit. You are around some weird people. Okay? And, and, and they were good people, but they were weird. You have them in your family too. And right now, if you're thinking, no, we don't, your family believes it's you. And so, and so let that heal you. I'm just helping you out. Okay. I'm just trying. I'm your friend. All right. And so if you're like, there's no weird people at Thanksgiving at my house, that's because everybody's looking at you, cousin Eddie. And so, um, and so, uh, but, but we've got to get comfortable with the Holy Spirit because he is God who is with us. God's in heaven. He's on the throne. Jesus is seated at the right hand. If you're not comfortable with the Holy Spirit, I got bad news. If you're a believer, he's in you. Like, don't have a civil war. Let him have his way. (laughs) Anyways, um, but John 14, 15, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then we get to John 15, it's the vine and the branches. And that's where I want to jump in together. And so we're going to read together verse 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I like how Jesus said, I'm the true vine, because kind of like he told the woman at the well, I'm, I'm, I'm the water you're looking for, basically. Um, sometimes we try to connect to something we think is going to give us life, but it doesn't give us life. And that's why Jesus said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things claiming to be vines. Oh, if I just got this job, I just had this relationship, if it's just this promotion, if I just, there's a lot of things claiming to be vines. If I just have more followers, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, right? A lot of people claim to have truth. Jesus said, I am truth. So he said, I'm the true vine. So he's going to give us the cast of this this picture. I'm the true vine and the father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He cuts it off. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse four, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Such a rich text. If you do not remain in me, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. Somebody say up in smoke. smoke. Those branches are burned. They go up in smoke. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
Um, you can put this in the chat. You can write it in your notes. Here's my title. Here's what I want to talk about today. I called this message, Trust the Cut. Trust the Cut. Just one person like that title. Trust the Cut. <laughs> I understand it's not a title to get excited about, but we're going to talk about it. By the end, you'll be excited or you can have your money back. All right, trust the cut. Can we pray together? Father, today we thank you. We have gathered in your presence. You are here. We pray the Holy Spirit would come and illuminate God today. We ask not for good information. We ask for divine revelation that brings about powerful transformation. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Help us to hear your voice. Amen. Um, most people understand, or you've heard, or you've read something from John 15, and you know we're talking about this idea of pruning, and pruning is the idea of cutting. And when you look at this text, it's, it's kind of outlined. We typically preach about being cut, or we preach about the vine, and Jesus is the vine, where I want to get to today is the gardener, because we don't talk a lot about the gardener. But in this passage, the father is a gardener. The loving father, the loving father, out of love, he has one function. The only thing the father does, the only thing the gardener does in this passage, one thing, he cuts. The loving father cuts. And probably if you've been a believer any matter of time, probably you've experienced the loving shears of the father. Now, we don't, we don't like it. We certainly don't pray for it. And many times when he comes after us, with shears, we run. And, and we hide. But there is a truth and a reality that sometimes in our life, sometimes in our life, if we really are crazy enough to say, I want to live for God's glory, for God's kingdom, if we're radical enough to trust God, there's going to be times in our life where God is going to cut something. And the only function of the father, the only function of the gardener in this passage is that he cuts and he only cuts two things, but he cuts two things. And get this, he cuts living things and dead things. Because some things, there's no way to get life out of them, so they're going to have to go in the fire. And some things, if we want to get more life out of them, we're going to have to cut them. And the problem is for all of us is we were attached to both. And so I want to talk about this today, and I hope, I hope it will bring some encouragement right now, because I know right now you're looking at me like, but that's okay. I want to bring some encouragement. I think we can get there together. And so write this down, three things that I want to pull from this text that I want us to talk about that I think are so necessary and so relevant. The first thing is this, is that we don't live for our glory, but his. Now, now I want to say that again, and, and then I want us to think about it. We don't live for our glory, but for his. Now, if you're a believer, this makes sense to you. If you're not a believer, 
it could make sense to you if you've heard it before, but let me go back to the believers because that's really my primary audience today is either people who are curious about faith and maybe wanting to come to faith. In other words, they're exploring God or people who have at least started in God. That's really my audience. People that are opposed to God are probably not listening to me today. So today I want to talk about the fact that, that we're supposed to live for God's glory and not ours, but we are set up in a universe, in a culture, in a creation that has been tainted and the brokenness of it, our default setting is to live for our glory. And if you think about it, this was the original sin, not Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve, Satan. Satan said, I'm going to ascend to the, to the throne of God. I'm going to be like God. In other words, I'm going to live for my glory. Like he was the worship leader in heaven and he was worshiping for the, for, for the glory of God. But then he decided, why would I want to give him glory when I can get glory? It's the same battle. Sometimes we're going to fight. Oh, you don't want to be real with me today. That's okay. I'm just talking to me and three people online. The rest of you got all this together. I know. It's the same strategy that he brought to Adam and Eve, which tainted creation, which was, hey, you could trust God or you could eat this fruit and be like God and you would be as glorious and know as much as him and you could live for your own glory and fame. And, and now we live in a culture where it's all about how many followers do you have and do you have enough Instagram followers where you can be an Instagram influencer so you can eat a bag of Doritos on Instagram and get paid for it because other people would eat Doritos. And so now it's about your followers or your TikTok followers. And there is nothing wrong with Instagram or TikTok. That's not the point. The point is, whose fame are you living for? And do you ever have those times where you pull back and check yourself before you wreck yourself and say, wait a second, is this about God or about me? Who am I really living for today in this moment? When I look at how I spend my time, when I look at the, the activities and the things that I, that I enter into, when, when, I, when I look at the way I spend my money, whatever it is, then I have to ask myself, am I living for his glory or for my glory? It's the question we have, and what is the aim of my life? Because here's what we know, that, that, that there is eternal fruit. Jesus said, I want you to bear fruit, and that fruit will remain. And then there's, there's branches that are burned up. And at the end of the day, we want to live for fruit that remains. And, the, and at the end of the day, our life is not about our possessions, but our production. It's not about what we post, but what we produce. Are you with me? Yes, yes. That that's the measure of our life. The measure of our life is did we bear fruit for the glory of God, not did we bear fruit that we wanted to bear. Paul talking to the Corinthians, Corinthians 9.25 says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. So here's what he's saying. Olympic runners don't live on cake. Right? He's saying, hey, if you, if you want to win, you're going to have to, you know, Paul in the old King James, there's this word, Paul used to, he said, I buffet my body. I always read it buffet my body. I'm like, I'm so good at this one verse. Like I got this verse down. I can buffet my body well. And then so I said, that's buffet. What is buffet? Discipline. Oh, I don't think I'm doing that well. I've been buffeting when I'm supposed to be buffeting. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Jesus, make it plain. That's why he gave us other versions of the Bible. 
But he said, we're going to be temperate in all things. And they do it. Here's why they do it. They do it to obtain a perishable crown. But he said, we're supposed to be living for a crown that can't fade, an imperishable crown. We are living for eternal glory, not temporal glory. This is what he's telling them, that the, the, the truth of the matter is our default setting, the default setting of our life, what we're all going to wrestle with is this concept that we're going to want to live for our glory. And here's why, because our flesh is oriented around pleasure and the spirit <laughs> is oriented around glory. Right. This may be why Paul said things like the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. What a wretched man that I am. There's a war inside of me. Why? Because my flesh wants pleasure, chocolate, cake, Jesus. Chocolate chip. I got a chocolate chip cookie recipe. I've been waiting to try the whole fast. I found it on Pinterest. Yeah, things I never thought I would say. Don't try to take my man card. I shoot stuff, kill stuff, work out at the gym. But I'm also on Pinterest. Because when you got to cook for three teenagers, you better be on Pinterest. Because they can tell you how to take a mason jar and turn it into a four-course meal in layers on Pinterest. I don't have boards. You can't follow me on Pinterest. You can do that on Instagram. I'm not going to share my Pinterest with you. I'm stingy about it and a little ashamed of it, but I'm on Pinterest. <laughs> but we're typically, we, we, our default setting is to orient ourselves around, around pleasure when God wants us really to be focused on fruit. And this is always going to be, going to be this, this struggle of am I going to live for my glory? And, and here's what Jesus actually says. And he's here. He's like, you know, you got to live. Everything you do is about producing fruit for the glory of God. Like this is your primary function. Believe it or not, your primary function is producing fruit for the glory of God. For this and, and to this, you were created and called to produce fruit. And, and so we have to ask the question then, who am I living for today? Like, who am I living for today? Because if I live for myself, this is what Jesus said, try to save your life, you'll lose it. So if I live for myself, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose fruit and I'm going to lose glory, right? And then if I try to live for others, because how many struggle we want everybody to be happy with you, right? Somebody's like, not me, bless you. Must be nice. Um, <laughs> For those of us that struggle with this, here's the problem. If you make everybody happy, you will inevitably make the wrong people happy. And you see this in the life of King Saul because what did, so Jesus said, look, if you live for you, you're going to lose. But, right? If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life in me, you'll save it. In other words, everything that I keep in my hands, I will lose. Everything that I put in Jesus' hands, I cannot lose. But then look at this. So that's living for me. But now living for other people like King Saul, he listened to other people over the voice of God because he was concerned they were going to vote him out. I don't know something. It got political. He got crazy. I don't know. But King Saul decides, I got to do what these guys are telling me, even though God said this. And what did it cost him? His fruit. He was removed as king. 
And God raised up someone else. So if I live for me, I don't get fruit. If I live for others, I don't get fruit. So I've got to live for the glory of God. That's where, that is where production happens. That is where fulfillment happens. That's where glory is seen. Because fruit production, according to the text we just read, producing fruit first shows who he is. When I produce fruit, it testifies to him. The fruit of my life says Jesus lives, or it's supposed to. When I love, when I'm hated. When I forgive, when I'm sinned against. When I serve someone that can't serve me back. My life testifies of someone greater than me. It, it says this is, this is who God is. The fruit in my life, St. Augustine said it this way, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. What if we produce more than we posted? Right? What if people would just get around us because they're like, boy, that fruit's good. So the fruit, our, the fruit of our life, the testimony of our life is in what our life produces. And it's not what we say that glorifies God. It's what we produce that glorifies God. It says, the fruit in my life says, Jesus is alive. But so the fruit says who he is, but the, the fruit shows who he is, but also the fruit shows whose I am. Look at what he says. Verse eight, for my father's glory, you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Believe it or not, it is not the fish on your car that tells people you're a disciple. It is the fruit that you produce. Because I have had people with a fish on their bumper flip me off before. And it was their fault because they were driving too slow in the fast lane. So obviously they weren't even being led of the Spirit. And everyone knows as a believer or an unbeliever, but even as a believer, if they're driving too slow in the fast lane, when you pass them on the right, you're supposed to give them a look. How else would they know they've messed up? So you're supposed to do one of these And then you say a prayer and just say, bless them, Lord, and let them see the error of their ways and bring righteousness, bring them to the light that they could walk in the truth of the fact that you drive slow in the right lane. Matthew 5, 16, back to the Bible. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, let your light, show, let your light shine before others. Look that they would see your good deeds and they would glorify that they would say, that didn't come from them. That came from God through them. Amen. And they would look through your life to your God. Like, let me, do you understand that a tree doesn't produce fruit for itself? That's right. Do you know that? Because what happens when a tree hangs on to its fruit? 
it rots and fills with worms and stinks and it's no good. A fruit, a, a tree bears fruit for other people. Amen. It's the beautiful thing about God. When we live for God, we're living for others. Because I'm trying to bear fruit that you can partake of. When you get around me, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel joy or encouragement. You, you see what I'm saying? Like I want to bear fruit that you can partake of. This is so we don't bear fruit for ourselves. Like you gotta ask your question: Am I trying to am I trying to bear bear fruit for myself, or am I trying to bear fruit for others? Am I trying to bear fruit that I can consume for me, or am I trying to bear fruit that someone else can pull off the tree and say, "This is so good. Thank you for producing this fruit. It was life giving to me." I've been blessed a couple times, a few times, to, to go to Hawaii. Somebody say Honolulu. Yes, praise the Lord. Mm, put it in the chat, Honolulu. Um, and so uh, there's some things I like about Hawaii. Well, everything. And, but but um, <laughs> I'll retire there someday. If y'all need me when I'm like 80, I'll be in Hawaii. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll teleconference in or whatever. But anyways, um, I'll zoom in, you know, like... Um, Anyways, I just had Hamilton, the room where it happened, and it just hit the Zoom where it happened. But anyways, um, never mind. ADD is a problem, and it's real. But, but when I go to Hawaii, there's two fruits that I'm looking for, and I'm looking for them. They have these little, they're like baby bananas, but they're called apple bananas. And, and they probably have a different name, but that's the slang name. Slang name. And, and they're, they're like the sweetest bananas you've ever eaten. And I will go every day because you can find them just on the side of the road. People sell them and you just stop and I'll just buy, you know, apple bananas and I'll take them back to the room and I'll just sit and eat them all. <laughs> and not feel guilty because you're in Hawaii, calories don't count. Especially when you're eating fruit. You don't count calories when it's fruit. I don't count calories when it's vegetables. But you put cheese on your broccoli. It doesn't matter. The broccoli cancels out the cheese, people. But there's this other thing they have. They have these things called Maui gold pineapples. Now, I don't know if you've ever been blessed by the Lord to have a Maui gold pineapple. If you have, you would have known. Because your, your tongue would have come out of your mouth and slapped yourself right on the side of your head. And you'd be like, whoa! It'd been one of those things, right? They are the best pineapples that can be eaten. And when I'm in Hawaii, I will get the pineapple and I will eat the whole pineapple. A pineapple a day keeps the doctor away. And I will eat the pineapple till my mouth is raw. And then I'll say, bring on some more pineapple. And every time I eat the pineapple, I take the banana. I'm like, I'm so thankful that tree was willing to give me this banana. I'm so thankful that plant didn't try to hang on to that pineapple, that it was bearing fruit, not for itself, but for someone else to consume. And I'm so grateful that I was able to consume the fruit that that, that plant or that tree bore. And then, and then when I consumed the fruit that that plant or that tree bore, I'm telling you, it's a religious experience. I say, thank you, God, for my go pineapple. Thank you, God, for apple bananas. Obviously, the Lord on, on the sixth day saw that, or the fifth day saw this was good when he built these things. He was like, I can't beat that. 
Like turnips, that's why he buried them. He's like, I don't know about that. That's not good. It's hard as a rock. You got to have a hammer to eat one of those things, right? Put that in the ground. And then man found it and dug it up. But when he built the pineapple, he's like, put them right on the surface because that right there is good. I have done my best work. Thank you, me. Because he can't say thank the Lord. So he has to thank me. And so... But the point is, is that we live for his glory and not our own. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Fruit isn't a burden, but a byproduct. It's not a burden, but a byproduct. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you, you can't do anything. So, so look here. The battle of fruit production is not in trying to produce the fruit, the battle is in staying connected to the vine. The enemy is not attacking your fruit as much as your connection. Right? right? He can't stop fruit production if you're connected. So the warfare, because the enemy is always at war. He wars against the word of God. He wars against the ways of God. He wars against the wisdom of God. And if you've ever wanted to preach, I just gave you an outline with three W's because I'm anointed and I do that kind of stuff. Okay. And so, but he wars against God. And he wars against God's word and he wars against God's ways or he wars against God's work. Right. And the way that he wars against fruit production, because he doesn't want you to produce fruit that other people can consume and give glory to God. So the way he wars against fruit production is not to war against the fruit production. It's to war against the connection. And one of the ways he does this is when God comes after you with shears and, and something gets cut instead of receiving it as promotion, he'll convince you that God's against you. Well, God didn't cut that out. No one else lost their job. And, and, and so he wars against the connection. And, and look what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if the enemy wants to make sure your life can't amount to anything eternal, he wars against the connectedness of your life to... He wars against your prayer time. He wars against your Bible study. He wars against you coming to church. Why do you think it's so hard to get here? Like, you don't struggle this hard to get to Target. Like, you want to go Target? Hey, babe, you want to go Target? Yeah, we're going to Target. Oh, let's load up and go Target, everybody. It's the only place you can get to Starbucks without spending half your life in line. What is the deal with Starbucks? My God, those lines are longer than anything I've seen at Disney. And it's about as expensive. $7 to make eight decisions to get one cup of coffee. I'm going home popping a K-cup in. <laughs> not because I don't necessarily like Starbucks or not. It's because I don't like being patient. I ain't waiting in that line for nothing. I don't care if they're giving out gold. Anyways. But, but what was I even saying? But anyways, the point is that, that this connection then is what is the most valuable thing in our life. Are you treating your connection like it's the most valuable? 
If you really believe apart from him, I can't do anything. Let me say it this way. Anything lasting or eternal. Apart from me, I can't do anything lasting or eternal. I want my life to matter in eternity. And so I've got to stay connected to him. So am I protecting my connection? Am I protecting my prayer time? Am I protecting reading the Bible? Am I protecting sitting and listening and, and, and talking to God? Am I protecting worship? Am I protecting gathering? protecting life group? Am I protecting the connection? Am I protecting the connection? I have to guard it because look, here's what it says. Everything that I need to be fruitful or you could say be fulfilled. The most fulfilling thing you'll ever do in your life is produce the right fruit. Like if you ever produce the right fruit, like, like when I go home after a weekend, because more than, more than overseeing the church, which is not, it's kind of what I do, but, but more than anything that I do, preaching God's word, when I go home, I'm like, I feel good. I feel good. Because I did the thing that I was created to do. I communicated the truth of God. Yeah. Right? And, and there's nothing more fulfilling than bearing the right fruit. And, and so when we want to bear the right fruit, we have to protect the connection and we have to guard the connection because if I guard the connection, fruit then is a byproduct, not a burden. Amen. It's a byproduct. In other words, everything that, that God needs to give me for me to produce fruit comes through this, through this connection. Let me tell you where we struggle, and, and, and then I'll come back to that, this, this idea. Everything, remember, it comes through him to us. That's how we produce fruit. Here's one of the battles you're going to fight. You don't live for God. God hasn't asked you to live for him. According to John 15, he has asked you to live from him. Amen. And I can tell you, this is the biggest battle that I fight as a pastor, is I'll go out there and want to do things for God. And God wants me to do things from him. It's just like this morning I was in, I was in my, in my office this morning. I was praying for you and, and, and looking over my notes and, and this is pretty typical of me, but I was sitting there and, and I just thought today, I thought, God, you know what they don't need? They don't need a message that I wrote for them. They need a message that I got from you. Amen. They don't even need me to preach God for you. They need me to preach from you. And this is the way we're called to live, not for God. And what happens is, especially as zealous saints, we say, I'm going to produce fruit. And we start going and trying to do things for God when God has actually said, no, protect the connection and do things from me. Let my life flow through you. My anointing, my grace, my giftings, my abilities, my wisdom, my peace, my love, let it flow. Stay connected and the fruit will happen as my life flows through you. Protect the connection and fruit won't be a burden. It will just happen. When I focus on the connection, fruit inevitably happens. When I focus on being related to God, my relationship with God, fruit is going to happen. Now, now I need to talk about this because it's this something we get into. I need to talk about fruit envy. Yeah, need to talk about it. Because think about this. When I stay connected to God, Fruit is going to naturally happen, but it's going to be the fruit I was created to produce, which may not be the fruit I would like to produce. And sometimes when we get in trouble on this whole thing is we decide 
what we want our lives to look like and produce. And we look at other people on Instagram and, and we say, well, I want my life to produce that fruit. And you got to understand fruit is a byproduct, not a burden. So here's what I'm saying. If you currently today are straining to try to produce fruit, it probably isn't the fruit you were created to produce. Because if you stay connected, you're going to produce the right fruit. But it doesn't matter how hard an apple tree tries to produce a pear. It can't do it because it wasn't created for it. Right? And so sometimes I think the straining in our lives is because we've been on Instagram and we want our, well, I want, I want, I want to have that relationship. I want to have that business. I want to have that position. I, I want to be doing that. I want that vacation. <laughs> I want and no matter how hard you try, all you're going to end up with is frustrated fruit envy. Right. And so what do you do? You go back and rest. You understand the goal of, of the covenant of God was not the covenant. The goal was rest. He made the covenant with us so we would rest in him. That's why we don't uphold the covenant. He does. He upholds the covenant so we can rest. And so God is wanting us to not try to have a particular relationship with him or try to produce a certain kind of fruit. He is wanting us to take advantage of the covenant that he made and rest in that connection that allows us to naturally produce the fruit that he wants us to produce. Okay, here, here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Your potential isn't realized only by adding, but also cutting. Your potential is not realized by just by adding, but by cutting. Now, the truth is, this is a great thing to talk about. Because if we're being honest, and, and we can, it's safe in here. If you're being honest, most of the time when we want to take fruit production to a new level, we start telling God what he can add to our lives. Is this just me, not y'all? For me and the three people online, thank you for tuning in. Um, most of the time, what, what we will say is, you know what, Pastor? I so want to lead a life group, and when I can get more time, like I'm praying God's going to give me the time. Well, God's not going to make a 25th hour in the day. So, the only way for God to get you more time is to cut something. Pastor, I really felt this calling, you know, and, and I was so excited about this calling for prayer and intercession and serving, and then I lost my job. Great, you have time now. Because isn't this what we do? We say, God, you know what, God? And, and I mean, these are all ones that I hear as pastor, right? Pastor, I'm so busy, but as soon as I'm not busy, as soon as, as God helps me, or it's, I'm going to, I want to serve. I want to serve, Pastor, just as soon as I'm not so busy, as soon as, as there's, an, you know, as soon as there's enough. No, your potential isn't reached by adding. But most of the time, when we want to go to a new level, we start talking to God, God, if you would add this promotion or you would add this increase or you would add this relationship or you would add. 
And we start talking about, God, if you would add this gift to my life, or if you would add this grace to my life, or if you would, and we start telling God, like, God, I'll do more for you just as soon as you do more for me, because I want you to do more for me so I can do more for you. And God's like, do you really need more for me to do more for you? Like, could you just do, like, my favorite is, Pastor, I want you to pray because I'm doing this business deal. And you know, if this one works, I'm going to give more to the kingdom. Now, first of all, I'll be glad to pray over any business deal you want me to pray over. It doesn't bother me at all. I love to see people blessed, and I hope God bless your business deal. But the truth is, if you weren't giving before that deal, you're not going to give after. And sometimes I feel like it's like you're trying to manipulate the pastor to pray real hard because somehow if this thing works, it's going to mean I, I, I don't work on commission, you understand. Like your business deal work, I don't get a raise. If you, start, if you start tithing day, you've never given a dollar to God. I'm not getting a raise today. Neither are any other pastors. It's not what pastor's meeting is where we sit down and say, praise God. You know, this person in children's ministry started, man, they started giving. Pastor Jessica, you get a commission on that. Now, praise the Lord. No, we don't, that's stupid. We don't do that stuff. Not sales meeting. We'll be glad to pray, and I want to be successful just because I want you to win. But the bottom line is sometimes we're looking at God saying, God, if you would give me more, if you would do more, then I would give more. And he's like, no, you got to cut more to give more. This, the, the, end, the end of last year, beginning of this year, the Lord began to speak to me. I'll just share a personal story. The Lord began to speak to me about financial increase in my own life. And uh, now I haven't seen it yet. But what I did starting this year, the first offering of the year, I increased my giving. Now, why did I increase my giving? Because when God talks to you about him wanting to give you more harvest, you can't get more harvest unless you have more seed. And we miss this. God will speak to us about harvest and we sit back and wait on the harvest so we'll have more seed. And God said, no, you sow more seed. That's what gives you more harvest. We're, it's, listen, it's always seed time and harvest, not harvest and seed time. And so what did that mean for me? It meant I had to rework my budget. Because if you're going to give more, but you didn't get more, you got to cut more. Right? And so I cut some things so I could give more because God said he wanted to do more. Because your potential isn't always reached by what gets added, but what gets cut. Now, back to this text. So here is this branch that we want to be so fruitful. And here is this gardener that has this one function. And the garden's like, I'm so glad you're connected. And I'm so glad that you're living for my glory. In fact, check this out. He looks at that plant. He says, you're being so fruitful. I have a reward for fruitfulness. And like Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> he comes over and he says, you're doing so good. You're being so fruitful. I want to reward your fruitfulness. And we call this pruning. Like you're being so fruitful. That's good. I'm... I'm so glad you're being fruitful and you're praying bold prayers and you're showing up and you're leading a life group and you're saying, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. <laughs> Take my hands, you know, here's my vine, here's my branch. 
Y'all remember that song? And God's like, wow, you're doing good. I'm a, yeah, I want you to produce more. Yeah, produce more. Want to produce more. Yeah, we got to, yeah, let's produce more. And the truth is, God starts, we start praying those bold prayers and God starts coming like this and all of a sudden we turn into like Muhammad Ali. And all of a sudden that plant sprouts legs and it's running off, right? By the way, that was me like dodging, like boxing. Some of you thought I got the Holy Ghost, but the truth is like all the Pentecostal people, oh, praise God, he's got it. And the other people are like, oh no, something's wrong with him. Anyways, whichever side you're on. But the bottom line is that God, God, God prunes and he prunes for three reasons. Number one, he prunes because some branches are producing too much fruit. And it's detrimental for the branch. In fact, the, the overproduction is going to destroy the branch. Let me say it another way. Their, their, their capacity has moved past their integrity. They, 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 their, their calling went farther than their character. And he loves you so much. He's like, man, if I let this go, there's going to be a crash. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to snip a little bit here and prune a little bit. Because I want to make sure that you don't crash. I want to make sure that you, the integrity, the response that you have is able to hold up what I'm doing in and through your life. And we fight this. I don't want to sit down. I don't want to take a break. I don't put, don't put baby in the corner. I don't want to be in the back seat. I want to be in the front seat. But really God's saying sometimes promotion always comes from the Lord. And sometimes demotion comes from the Lord. And then, and, then, and then sometimes he prunes because it's like, this is good, but if I prune here, I'll get best over here. So God will actually cut good stuff out. He'll say, man, that, you're doing so good. And listen, that's, there's nothing more. You've been so obedient and, and you've been so fruitful that I'm going to reward you. And I'm going to cut some good stuff because I want to see some great stuff. And then sometimes he prunes because he looks and he's like, oh man. It's a good thing we don't have like three or four services. We wouldn't have a plant left. Um, <laughs> but but he, he starts looking and he says, oh man, this right here, this is sick. It's sick. I don't know if it's going to get better, but I know it's pulling energy out of the plant and, and I just, it's sick. So I just need to go ahead and cut it off. And if I cut away what's sick, it allow the plant to prosper. And that's the way we usually preach it. We usually stop there. But when I read this text, there's another category that he cuts. And he throws them into the fire. And that category are the things that are dead. But they're still attached. See, everything we just cut, everything we just cut, it was all producing some sort of fruit. And that's the hard things to cut is things that produce fruit. But I found in our lives, sometimes the hard things to cut are the things that aren't producing fruit, but you're still attached to them. Because I was attached to everything that just got cut, but it's producing fruit. But I've got, I've got some other things maybe in my life that are actually dead and maybe they've been dead for a while, but a dead branch is still attached to the tree. But I'm just not ready to surrender. It's dead and, and I'm hoping maybe it's not dead and I'm hoping maybe that it's going to come back to life and, and I'm hanging on to it, but I'm hanging on to something that's dead. And I found it's two separate things to hang on to something that's alive and hang on to something that's dead. 
And I found out this about, about dead branches. They take more energy to hang on to a dead branch than it does to get fruit out of a live branch. And actually, the plant will divert all of the energy to the dead branch because it's trying to make something dead live. And it will take energy away from the things that are producing fruit in the life of the plant. And it will pull resources from what is productive into something that's already dead. And sometimes we do this as people and as believers. We know it's dead and God knows it's dead. And every time God pulls his shears out, we like move because we don't want to give up on what's already dead. We don't want to give up on the unforgiveness because we want to be proven right. And we don't want to give up on the bitterness because what they did was wrong. And we don't want to give up on this relationship because we want this relationship so bad and we want this to work and we don't want to give up on... And you can go on and on about things in your life that are dead, but they're still attached to you. So you're trying to hide them from the gardener, but he's like, I love you so much. The only way for me to get fruit out of your life is we both got to decide this is dead and it's not going to grow up, grow back. And so I'm going to cut it because it is pulling resources that could produce fruit. And then you know what else about dead branches? They make the whole tree unhealthy because dead branches allow an opportunity for disease. They compromise the health, the, the, the immune system, if you will, of the plant or of the tree. And what God's saying is, if I don't cut what's dead, then the whole thing's gonna be sick. Now here's the thing, it is never fun when God comes at you with shears because whatever he's coming after, you're attached to. It means you don't want to let go of it, whether it's good or bad, whether it's alive or dead. You're like, no, it's mine. I don't care if it's dead or alive. It belongs to me. Get back, Edward Scissorhands. But, but you need to understand something about the gardener. The gardener is the father. And the father can only be motivated by one thing. I'm going to put those down because that seems threatening. The gardener can only be motivated by one thing, love. For God so loved. The, the motive of everything God will do and every, ever will be, it's always love. When it comes to the Bible, the motive that you see in the Bible is love. The verb, the action in the Bible is give. For God so loved that he And when I read this text, I saw something. John 15, 9. Do you have time for this? John 15, 9. We don't have another group coming in. So if you got time, I got time. John 15, 9 says, as the Father has loved me. Look, at I just, because we're talking about pruning and cutting dead stuff. And all of a sudden he starts talking about love. It's kind of weird to me. But, but I look at this and said, he says, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you how many times it's interpreted, which is wrong, and then I'm going to tell you the right way to see it, okay? As, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, this is where we go wrong, you, you will abide in my love just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. When we read that, here's what we hear. If I keep the commandments, He loves me. And if I fail, He doesn't. But that is not what that verse said. 
That is not what says. What we hear, what we hear is, if I want God to love me, I got to keep His commandments. The problem is John three sixteen says God loves the world. It didn't say God loves those that keep His commandments. God's love is a fixed constant for every person. He cannot love you more and He cannot love you less. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ today, God loves you just as much as He loves me. There's not a difference as far as His love. In fact, I always say if God has a favorite, it's the lost person, not the found person. But, but I'm just saying that, that, that God's love is a fixed constant and it is aimed at the world regardless of whether you believe in Him or not. He loves you the same as He loves any believer. The same that he loved Billy Graham. He loves you. His love is a fixed constant. He's talking about what we do to stay in his love. The admonishment is, let me say it this way, benefit from my love versus not benefiting from my love. Because God loves people today that are not benefiting from his love. Because they're not resting in it. They don't believe in it. They're not trusting in it. And he loves them the same as he loves someone that is believing in him, that is benefiting him. He loves them exactly the same, but they're not receiving the benefit from the vine because they're not staying and abiding in the love. So he is talking not about his discriminatory act of giving love. He's talking about our decision to remain in it or not. And it shows the heart of the Father because this is a plea for, for branches that He's trying to prune. He's like, the, the war is going to be the connection. And when you see the shears, you're going to want to jump ship. And when you do, it's not that I don't love you. It's that I, you're no longer benefiting because you moved. And that's why He's saying, remain in me. Don't jump ship. Trust in my love. Don't fear the shears. Trust the gardener. See, if I'll trust the gardener, if I'll trust that he loves it, because here's what gardeners do. They study this plant. They probably planted it and they saw it come to life and they study it and he knows everything about you. He knows everything about the plant. He knows when you can produce fruit, what kind of produce you what, what kind of fruit you can produce. He knows what season you're going to produce the most fruit in and he knows tr- strategically what to cut and when to cut it to get the most fruit production he can out of your life. And you're sitting there saying, "I want my life to matter and I want it to be productive." And he's saying, "Then you got to trust the cut. You got to trust the gardener because I've been studying you. I formed you in your mother's womb and I knew you before you set foot into this world and I have studied you since before you were born and I've studied your whole life and I know exactly everything about you and I have been looking over you and watching over you and protecting you and making sure you have the right soil and making sure you have the right fertilizer and making sure you're getting the right amount of water and now you've been fruitful and just like you trusted me with nothing I need you to trust me with something. I need you to trust me to cut some things out of your life. Some are dead and you're hanging on. Some are fruitful, but there could be more. And if you don't trust me, you won't trust the cut. So you got to trust the heart of the father and the heart of the gardener, or you will fight with him on what he's trying to cut out of your life. But when you trust the father and you trust the gardener, you'll show up and say, I'm not dodging and I'm not running. I'm saying, here I am. I trust 
bless the cut. Make me produce more for your glory. Give me some fruit that's going to help somebody else. I'm not going to fear the shears. I'm going to trust the gardener. Come on, somebody. Give Jesus praise. I'm going to trust the cut. may not be fun, but it's going to be fruitful. It may not be fun, but it's going to be fruitful. And God's going to get glory. I wonder if this is what Paul said when he said our present, look at this, look at this, look at this. Our present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I wonder if that's what he meant. I wonder if something got cut. Come on, church, let's trust the cut. Put it in the chat. Trust the cut. Amen. Come on, give him one more praise. God is so good. God is so good. <laughs> and then you can stand. And God, we just thank you. We just thank you. Because you're God and we're not. And, and you're, you're so loving. And you're so patient. And you're so good. And God, we, we just want to trust the cut. Because whether we've been pruned or cut lately, God, if we're going to be fruitful, there's going to be a cut somewhere. We want to trust the cut. Will you take a moment with your heads bowed and just you and God, even if you're watching online, don't turn it off. Just where you're at, take a moment and just ask God what he's saying to you. Whether you're in this room or your living room, just God, what are you saying to me? And, and trust God to speak. God, we thank you that you're speaking. And with our heads bowed, you're listening for God. But if you're in this room or you're watching online, if you're, if you're there and maybe we're talking, you're like, you know, I, I'm not really living for the glory of God. Or maybe we're talking and, and you're like, you know, I'm not really connected to him. I'm, not, I'm kind of doing my own thing, living my own life. And, and maybe you come to this place where it's like, man, I, I want to be, I want to live from God. I want to be connected to God. I want God's love to flow through me, God's grace and power and I want to live for his glory. In other words, what you're saying is I really need a relationship with God. And the way you know you need a relationship with God, so many times the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you and, and that feels like a nudge or a tug in your heart or just in your being and you just kind of feel like, man, that's what I need. That's what I want. And, and if you're in this room or you're watching somewhere online and, and you, you need a relationship with God, then I, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. And so no one's looking around. And I want whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I want you to do this. Is I want you to lift your hand to God and just say, God, here I am. I need a relationship with you. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. But even, yeah, God bless you. Thank you. But even, yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you. But even if you're watching online, lift your hand because it's more of a sign for God. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. But lift that hand and say, God, here I am. That's what I want. And then if you're in this room or you're watching online, we're going to pray a simple prayer together. And uh, it, you put it in your words, but it's just professing faith in Jesus and asking him 
to, to be your Lord and Savior is all it really is. But it's the decision that makes it powerful, not the words. So you can use your words. It's, the decision is, is the point. But, but it'd be something like this. You know, God, I believe in you. You can just put it in your words. God, I believe in you and your son, Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again for me. I ask you, God, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me a new creation. And God, help me to live for you, to live for your glory the rest of my life. And God, I pray as they were praying that prayer, God, I pray even now you would, they would sense you. They would know you. They would, they would feel you, God, that you would speak to them and you would fill them with life. God, that you would transform them. God, we celebrate with them today. We celebrate with them today. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for all of our church. God, today we, we put our trust, God, in the heart of the gardener. And when we trust his heart, we can trust his hands. And we'll trust the cut. In Jesus' name, God, thank you for all you're doing in and, our, and through our life, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give Jesus one more praise. You got a good praise, a shout, a clap. Yeah. God is so good. Listen, if you need prayer, I'd ask our prayer team to come. We have a team to serve you for prayer. If you're in this room, you need prayer. If you lifted your hand, we'd love to pray with you. We have something for you. We'd love to connect with you uh, online. You can text My Pathway Prayer to 77977, but we want to pray with you. Listen, we love you. Everyone else, you need prayer for anything, please come. Faith, family, finance, doesn't matter. We want to pray with you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you, and we will see you next weekend for week four. God bless you.